When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Happy Friday, the weekend is here and it's a weekend with no Premier League football to look forward to. The season's over with all eyes on the moving and shaking of the transfer window over the next few weeks. It'll take a bit of time to get used to, no action at the weekends, but we'll be here for you every single step of the way right up until the start of next season. On today's show we'll take a look at some of the latest gossip on the back pages with Liverpool leading the race for a highly sought after European prospect. Plus, Arsenal's Alex is away, Lacazette has left for Lyon. Do the Gunners need a replacement ASAP? And Moe's the man, I'm talking Salah of course, who's won the PFA Player of the Year award. Is he a worthy recipient? We'll answer those queries as well as casting an eye over who the Premier League players have voted into their team of the season. All of that to come on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast from Sports Social. During the campaign, a new show every single day, but down to three days a week for the time being. Regardless, we will keep you up to date with all the latest top flight happenings, so make sure you hit subscribe to stay in the loop. My name's Niall, and with me today, a partnership only marginally better than Michael Owen and that NFT company, Jim <laughs> Salverson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Well, hello there. <laughs> Was that your... Michael Owen impression. That was my Obi-Wan Kenobi impression. Now the new series oh. of Kenobi's out. He, well, hello there. Uh, did you see the NFT thing with Michael Owen, though, that he's been forced? You know, he said originally that it was the only NFT you can't possibly lose money on. That the advertising yeah. standards have now said you can't say that. They have <laughs> made him delete the tweets. Yeah, yeah. yeah fantastic. Um, I haven't watched Obi-Wan Kenobi yet, Jim, but it sounds like you've dived in. Is it any good? I haven't. I've not indulged properly yet because I'm. I'm. I'm waiting to watch it with my child, who's quite keen on it. But I've. Uh, from what I've seen, I've seen sort of snippets of it, and yeah, yeah. If you're into Star Wars, you're gonna like it. Okay. Well, I haven't actually seen it, and I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. But seeing as there's no Premier League football to get stuck into at the weekends now, might be having a little dip into uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Let's talk about something that did happen over the last 24 hours, and that is the announcement that the PFA Player of the Year winner is Liverpool's Mo Salah, voted for by his fellow professionals. They all sit down and they. 
put names on a sheet and they send them off to the PFA and then they're all totted up and whoever gets the most votes wins the award. For the last two years, it's been Kevin De Bruyne. This year, Mohamed Salah. What do you reckon, Jim? A deserved winner? I think he probably is a deserved winner. I mean, it's always going to be between him and Kevin De Bruyne in terms of who is the best player in the Premier League. It's like the a little microcosm in the Premier League of the Messi versus Ronaldo debate that happens every single year. The weird thing is, I think probably this year, out of the last three years, is the years he, year he deserves it least from those three because he has been a phenomenon in the Premier League over the last three seasons. And this year, it does feel like he went through kind of peaks and dips at a time rather than just being this constant level of excellence through the whole season. So it's very difficult to give an argument that he doesn't deserve it. But I wouldn't have been surprised if he hadn't got it, given that he's missed out on previous seasons. But I think Kevin De Bruyne would admit as well, he's not had the best season by his own high standards. He missed quite a large portion of it through injury. So I think probably on balance, yeah, give it to Mo this year. Okay, well, Mo Salah is the winner, but he did have a quiet end to the season. I think it's fair to say that maybe the last month or so, he wasn't quite at his best. He still managed to score 24 Premier League goals across the campaign, Joel. Do you think people only really tend to remember the end of the season, particularly when these awards are handed out? Because I've seen a few people say, well, Mo Salah was rubbish for the last six months of the season. I don't think that's quite fair. It was probably the last couple of months, but everyone focuses so much. They hone in on that running at the end of the season. It's almost easy to forget the rest of the campaign that comes before it. Yeah, I think that, well, when you look at the start, everyone has a little bit of recency bias, don't they? Because... In his last nine games, he only scored three goals. But then at the start of the season, he scored 10 in 10. So if the roles were reversed and he did that towards the end, I think every single person would have been absolutely unanimous in saying, oh, Salah is the player of the season, you know, give it him. But in my in my opinion, I thought Sadio Mane was probably just as on par as him this season. Um, he scored 16 Premier League goals too. And I don't think it should go to just the person who scores the most or you know, he's on par with the same because I think I thought Mane was as influential in all the games that I watched Liverpool play as Salah, to be honest. I thought he was probably even more involved. Um, but of course, you have to give some kind of cons- consolation to the best Premier League side ever. So I'm sure they'll take that one. But um, I just don't believe he was the best player because even when you look at um, Son from Tottenham, he scored 23 non-penalty goals, but I know he picked up his form massively towards the end of the season as well. So like you say, now I think everyone's perception of how the season went is very skewed when you look at who had the strongest finish towards the end of the season and who didn't. Uh, but I, you can't deny as well, though, Salah, when he first came to the Premier League, I don't think anyone thought he would do better than that first season where I think he got what was it 32-33 Premier League goals which is the record I don't think anyone thought he would be able to consistently keep up with those similar numbers and I know 23 is not a similar number but to keep scoring 20 in the Premier League every season is just like it's just some high level ridiculousness that only a few players can do um, so you have to give him props for that. But in my opinion, I thought Mane was probably even more influential to Liverpool's season. In terms of the Son thing, I think it's a tough argument to have him as player of the season. But certainly, I know we're going to talk about the team of the season in a minute. It was criminal that he missed out on that. But I think we also need to bear in mind when we talk about that maybe 
other players should have been considered or there's a recency bias is this is professional footballers making this call they're making this judgment and we're assuming they're putting any kind of thought into this whatsoever when in reality you know what it's like when you get something particularly when it's connected to work we're asked to vote on something or give you an opinion on something it's a rush job isn't it you've got to look at a list you go click or write something down off the top of your head it's not like you're going to have people like i don't know Bernardo Silva sitting down over a coffee on the morning, spending an hour pondering who should get the player of the season award. To be fair, he seems like the kind of guy that would do that. Yeah, he might actually. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, these professional footballers aren't going to be giving a huge amount of consideration to who they give it to. So it's no surprise that it is whoever's scored the most goals or whoever's had the best end of the season rather than someone sitting down, pouring over the stats, looking at interceptions or tackles or the amount of time someone's been dribbled by. So I think it's no surprise that in general, it does go to the players who have either won the league or scored the most goals. I think that you have picked the worst possible example when you said Bernardo Silva. He'd definitely be in some northern (laughs) quarter artisan coffee shop sipping on a double espresso. Whereas if you had said Jack Grealish, I think, you know, he would have probably done the whole thing in Tipex. You know, that's the sort of the sort of comparison we're talking about here. You're right about Son, though. Um, Mo Salah wins the PFA Player of the Year. He also gets in the Team of the Year alongside Sadio Mane and a couple of other Liverpool players. I'll go through the whole team for you in a second. But no Son Heung-min in that eleven. Is that a surprise? I'm pretty shocked about it, Joel. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's absolutely criminal. I mean, he's had the best season of his career by an absolute mile. He's equaled Salah. Um, and if not, probably had more of a hand in Tottenham's season than Harry Kane did, which, I mean, when was the last time another Tottenham player did that for, for their club? Harry Kane's been the main guy every single season. He's pretty much bailed them out and got them into their finishes. But this season, another guy's took the handle of the club, got them to Champions League football pretty much after Kane's kind of messy start to the season with all that transfer speculation. But then... I mean, do you take out Mane or Salah for him? This is the question. I would probably take out one or the other for him. I don't see why you have to pick two players just because they've been in a title race. It's not about the context. It's about who's just been the better player. And Son has had probably one of the best seasons in the Premier League. But He's easily top two players this season. So I don't really understand how he's been dodged. Not only of the PFA Player of the Year awards, but also the team. It's it's very strange to me, to be honest. Um, but I mean, like you said, Jim, I'm sure this is a kind of voting system where they all vote for the mates and they all vote for who's probably scored even the most goals or who's in, been in the better side and that kind of thing. So I can understand it in that perspective. But yeah, if, if anyone's ever watched Son play for Tottenham this season, he's been absolutely electric. Um, so it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty shocking, to be honest, but I'm not surprised. Let me make it really easy for you, because you'd have to take out Mane or Salah from the team of the season. You take out Ronaldo. That's clearly the player that sticks yeah, out. Yeah, you can't be putting wingers up front. Oh, like it makes sense. Like they've arranged this in some kind of proper team. Yeah. I think it's weird that Son's <laughs> not been included. You got, in the no, team you've got to have year. a striker in there. Otherwise, you may as well put left backs in midfield. And yeah, right I mean, this is the thing. Right back, Everyone says this when you pick teams, fantasy teams or 
all-time 11s or combined 11s people are like oh what formation are you going to play i mean you could just go full garth crooks and play a 262 <laughs> or whatever it is you know um and just go full full bore um but it doesn't really matter because as, as jim says they're not actually going to be playing a game but i think the key is that the pfa player of the year and team of the year is voted for by the fellow professionals that play alongside you in the premier league so they would have all voted for Ronaldo, Jim, rather than Son. He would have got more votes than Son. And I guess he must be an absolute nightmare to play against Cristiano Ronaldo. And I don't buy into the narrative that Ronaldo is part of the problem at Manchester United because you can't have a problem who has scored that many goals. I mean, having a goal scorer, a natural goal scorer in your team is never a problem. It's just the way the team plays around him. So, But at the same time, you look at Manchester United's season, should there be a player from Manchester United in that final 11 considering the season they've had but you're right it is voted for by fellow professionals and some of those fellow professionals would have lined up against Sun and lined up against Ronaldo and maybe they felt that Ronaldo was the trickier customer to deal with from those scenarios but it is really strange I mean Joel says it's criminal that Sun has not been included I think it's a little bit insulting as well we talk about him being an underrated player and I don't really buy into that because we talk every season, we talk for the last five years about how Son's an underrated player. So he can't be that underrated if everyone's saying he's underrated. But I would say it's a little bit disrespectful, almost, him not being in there. As Joel's already said, topping the goal-scoring charts, getting the golden boot without being the penalty taker is a huge achievement in the Premier League. And I think it's just a bit weird he's been overlooked. Well, here's the full team for you. Alisson's the goalkeeper... Alexander-Arnold and Van Dijk as two Liverpool teammates are in the back four along with Chelsea's Rudiger and Man City's Cancelo at left back. The midfield is De Bruyne, Thiago and Bernardo Silva so two City and one Liverpool and the forward line of three players is two Liverpool, Mane and Salah and one Manchester United in Cristiano Ronaldo. So I think that is on the whole a fair enough team. Joel, obviously we've mentioned that there's no Son in that list. Are there any other notable absentees or were you just happily nod along with that side and think, yeah, that's probably fair enough. No, I think Rodri definitely deserved to be in there instead of Thiago, 100%. I think his consistency has been absolutely ridiculous this season. Um, I just think he's been overlooked for the fact that Thiago's more aesthetically better on the ball. But the only thing with Thiago is he's missed a third of the season. He only played 25 games in the league this season. That's 13 games missed, which is just under a third of the season. Rodri's played 33 games. So he's pretty much played... Near, near or near abouts the whole way for the season for City. I just think he's very, very overlooked because his position doesn't allow him to be this flair player who has to, you know, get involved in play too much. He's, he's, he, you know, he's a great player when you don't hear about him in a top side because he does the basics so well. And I just think with Thiago, he's a very much. You know, when you when you watch him, he's super nice to watch because he does nice flicks on the ball. And that's not to say he's not a bad player, by the way. He's an amazing player. But I think with without Rodri in the City side, they would suffer big time if they had to play Fernandinho in that role. Um, so I think for me, Rodri 100% deserves to be in there. What about you, Jim? You're not hung up that there's no Jared Bowen or anything like that? Well, firstly, I agree with Rodri 100%. I think he's one of those players that if they do their job well, you just don't notice them. They're like a metronome in the middle of the park. They keep everything going. They break up play. They move it on. And they're so instrumental to the way modern football works. But 
if they're doing the job properly, you don't notice them because they're not putting in last ditch cha- challenges and they're not getting forward. They're just holding their position and they're keeping it going. I think Rodri's been superb this season. I am disappointed that Jared Bowen isn't in there. And I think this goes on the whole for players from unfashionable clubs just don't tend to feature in these. I mean, you've got six Liverpool players in there. How did they not win the league when they've got six <laughs> players from team of the season and City have only got three in there? I'm not quite sure how that works. I guess maybe maybe the rotation thing did for City players. But you've got City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United and Chelsea and Liverpool and United are kind of token inclusions in there. So I'd like to see players from outside those clubs. Jared Bowen, Gareth Southgate, has been forced to include him in England because of his form. I'm surprised he maybe didn't get a nod in the list. Or maybe someone like um, Cucurella from Brighton as well, who had a great year playing for Brighton. I mean, it's, it's difficult to make the argument he should be in there above Cancelo, but at the same time, he's been an outstanding performer in the Premier League. And that's why you've got big clubs around Europe like Barcelona and Manchester City, both potentially looking at him to bring him in in the summer. So it would be nice to see a little bit more. Maybe there should be another PFA season, like not including the top six. So team play, teams outside the top six, the best players from those would be interesting to see as well. Yeah, I think that's a fair point because that's what kills the likes of Bowen and the players that play for those unfashionable clubs that you speak of. Because if you're a defender for, let's just say Brighton, for example, say you're, you're Adam Webster or Lewis Dunk or someone like that, and... Who would you rather face, Jared Bowen or Mohamed Salah? Now, they're both good players, but in terms of which one's going to cause you more problems and then you're casting a vote at the end of the season as to who's the, the difficult, most difficult forward you've come up against. I think that's probably where Bowen's just slightly unlucky. He's a very good player and he's had a very good season, but um, coming up against someone like Salah in that same position for those votes is always going to be tricky for him to come out on top. But Mo Salah has won the PFA Player of the Year award. It's the second time he's won it in his career. He joins an elite club. There's not too many players in the history of the Premier League that have won the award twice. Now, talking of Mo Salah, there's been some speculation whether he might leave Liverpool at some point in the future. Certainly doesn't feel like this summer he'll be on his way, but fellow forward partner Sadio Mane could well be out of the door. His name has certainly been linked on the back pages, and we're going to take a look at some of the latest gossip next after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, Friday's edition of the podcast, three days a week at the moment whilst it's the off-season and then when the Premier League campaign begins again at the start of August, we'll be back to daily shows for you. It's Monday, Wednesday and Friday for now, so hit subscribe and that way you'll be right up to date with all the latest goings on. And we're going to talk transfers now and in fact it's more outgoings than incomings over the last couple of days. And we'll begin at Arsenal where Alex Lacazette has left the Gunners on a free transfer and rejoined his old club in France. That's now two big Arsenal strikers in Aubameyang and Lacazette gone under Mikel Arteta's watch, Jim. Do you think that they desperately need to sign a new centre-forward now? Or is the youngster Martinelli ready to bear all responsibility Arteta's for Arsenal brutal, isn't he, in his rebuilding of Arsenal? If he doesn't fancy you, you are gone pretty much. He got rid of Aubameyang, now he's got rid of Lacazette, who I don't think has really had a proper chance to shine in the Premier League. I always quite fancied him as a player, but he never quite did it and proved himself as the real deal. As for Martinelli, I'm not sure he's quite the finished article yet. I'm not sure he's quite ready to take that Arsenal goal-scoring responsibility upon his shoulders. He doesn't score quite enough at the moment, I don't think, to be the sole centre-forward. And I think he plays better, or certainly when I've seen him, he plays better alongside another centre-forward as well. And I think um, Gabriel Jesus would be a really nice combination. I'd like to see Martinelli and Jesus playing together. And we know that Arsenal are in for Jesus as well. I think 50 million quid City wants, so they're just waiting to agree a fee. And whether Jesus actually wants to go to Arsenal or not either, because, sorry Gunners, it's a bit of a step down going from Manchester City title-winning team to Arsenal. Let's try and get top four. But I think that's an interesting combination. I also think it depends... I mean, there's the Arteta element though, isn't there, Jim? Obviously, because yeah. Arteta was the assistant to Pep Guardiola, so he'll know Jesus. So I guess that's one of the strong points in possibly getting a Man City player to go. I mean, it could go either way, though, couldn't it? I mean, we don't know what the, Jesus's relationship was like with Arteta. We know he had a certain bond with players. We know he liked Raheem Sterling and those two got on, but I've no idea what his relationship was like with Jesus. But um, let's not rule out Eddie and Ketia either, who had a great end to last season, scored a hatful of goals in the last few weeks. But does that make up for the previous three seasons where he's been sitting on the bench or in the reserves? And if Arsenal are going to bring in another centre forward, what happens to him? Does he want to sit there and try his luck and potentially warm the bench again for another three seasons if he signs some kind of extension? Because he's now proven that he's a goal scorer in the Premier League, albeit over a short period of time. And I think he needs the opportunity to do that week in, week out. So Arsenal need to or get off the potty for want of a better phrase they need to decide whether Nketiah is going to be their man or whether they do need to bring someone else because I think from his point of view in terms of development he needs to be playing regular football so do they need to bring in someone else not necessarily because they might have two brilliant options in Martinelli and Nketiah who can carry that weight but both of those players represent a significant risk for the team if you're going to rely on them to get your goals next season yeah, I don't think Eddie Nketiah is quite good enough. That's my personal opinion. Um, 
maybe I'm wrong, happy to be proved wrong. You're right, he did have a great end to the season, but I'm just still not quite convinced by him. I think you're right with Martinelli, could be a really good player in the future, but maybe just needs a couple more years experience. And that is a risk for a team like Arsenal, who really should have finished fourth and they ended up throwing it away and they'll be eyeing up the Champions League spots again next season but in letting Lacazette leave on a th- on a free he's just turned 31 so in terms of the kind of young players and that style and that blueprint that Mikel Arteta is going for it's fair to say that Aubameyang and Lacazette two good strikers but both over the age of 30 they're now gone so in bringing in someone like let's presume it's a Gabriel Jesus Joel he's in his sort of early to mid 20s so he kind of fits the profile a little bit more let's just say they are looking for someone akin to Jesus or another striker it needs to be someone that fits the Arteta profile I suppose yeah and just to add I think that Arsenal are very scarred from that Willian transfer where they got him on a free aged over 30 and I think they've had to well, I think he willingly sacrificed over 20 million in salary just to leave and go back to Brazil. And I don't think they wanted to make that mistake again. And obviously, like we've seen with Lacazette, he hasn't been bad for them. I mean, he averaged about 10 goals a season in his five seasons there, which isn't a bad return at all. Um, But now Arteta finds himself in a position where he's relying on promise. And promise doesn't always deliver you the results, especially when they're very, very young. They can go one way or the other. And I know that Eddie Nketiah has had a very good end to the season, but I don't think any Arsenal fan will be confident in him leading the line next season and trying to, you know, go toe-to-toe with the likes of Spurs, for example, who have two of the top scorers in the Premier League leading their line next season. So for me, I think the likes of Gabriel Jesus, who will have finally a leading role in a side rather than a bit part role at City, I'm sure it's a massive come down for him having to you know, go for all the titles every single season and he has a hand in all of them to then kind of going towards a project which is at the moment quite unknown still about how much potential it actually has. Um, Maybe that is obviously his incentive to lead the Arsenal line but I just think Arsenal is vital for them this summer to get a season forward in uh, because they pretty much need to replace a good 20 goals a season that they're going to lose from uh, Lacazette and obviously from Aubameyang so it's going to be a difficult one purely on the basis that um, strikers are rarer than you know an endangered animal these days that you just can't find them and you're gonna have to pay a premium for them and if they are available the top teams are hovering straight over them because let's not forget you know goals are the hardest thing in football and there's a rarity now of trying to get them so it's going to be difficult for Arsenal to get that striker in but when you see Jesus in his goals, I don't know if it's because it's in the City system, which is set up to create so many chances. It may be different for Arsenal, but I think just going off the availability, he is probably the most sensible option, you would say. Well, talking of strikers being available, the reason that the fee for Darwin Nunez, the Benfica forward, is looking like £85 million, which is a lot, is because strikers are a rare breed at the moment, as Joel says, and it looks like the Benfica man is close to joining Liverpool. Personal terms have been agreed, according to some sources, but other sources suggest Manchester United are still in the race and still talking to his agents. I mean, £85 million, that looks like a hefty fee, but he's only 22, Jim. He's got a good goal record. He's physical. He's athletic. Do you think Liverpool, who look most likely to sign him, need to spend big, need to spend that sort of money because, A, like what Joel says, the shortage of decent strikers out there, and B, it looks like Sadio Mane could be off, so they'll need someone to replace him. 
I know the cost of living is going up at the moment and a loaf of bread or a pot of yoghurt is costing you more in Tesco, but I didn't realise it applied to footballers as well because West Ham almost signed Nunes back in January for 40 million quid rather than 85 million quid. In fact, when the deal broke down, it was like a deadline day deal. I don't know if you remember this, but Nunes sacked his agent a couple of weeks later for failing to get the deal over the line. So... Firstly, Nunes needs to go back to his agent and apologise and beg for his forgiveness because what he might have done is avoided him a four years of misery at West Ham and got him four years of success <laughs> at Liverpool instead. So he needs to apologise to his agent for one. And secondly, I mean, I think he is the real deal. I think he's a good player. And 85 million quid is a lot of money. But then if you counter that with the idea that Liverpool want 40, 45 million for Mane from Bayern Munich. I mean, that money from that deal goes straight into the transfer pot and it kind of reduces your outgoing to 45 million. So as we know, when a club has money, that kind of bumps up the cost of the players they're looking at. It's what Newcastle United have found since they came into the Saudi Arabian cash. Everyone that they show an interest in, there's an extra 20 million quid tax put on them, a Saudi Arabian tax that's going to charge them a little bit more because people know they've got that money in the bank. And I think that's kind of what Liverpool are experiencing to a certain extent here. But as for him as a player, 85 million quid is a lot of money. It's nothing if he does the job to replace Mane. And he managed to get 26 goals in 28 games, I think it was, in the Portuguese Premier last season, which I know it's the Portuguese Premier, but 26 goals in 28 games is still impressive in the North Cheshire Under-18s League, so it's all right in the Portuguese yeah. Premier. But Luis Diaz is a decent player, and he came from the Portuguese Premier League. Exactly. Ruben Neves, the same. Yeah. Bruno Fernandes, the same. I think that even though it's not one of Europe's top five leagues, I think technically... Um, and the skill level is actually probably underrated in a way. And you can only score goals in the league you're in. Of course. I mean, he's also did it in the Champions League, got six goals and ten in the Champions League. So he's proven that he can do it on the big stage. And like you say, he's big, he's physical, he's got an eye for goal. I think he could be a real get for Liverpool. And we know that Liverpool only spend loads of money when they are 100% convinced on a player, and they tend to get it right if you look at Alisson, Virgil van Dijk, Thiago as well, who all all cost them decent amounts of money and they've all worked out. So I don't think they'll be throwing away 85 million quid unless they're sure. And I think it could end up being a great deal and a good replacement for Mane. Yeah, I mean, Sadio Mane is still at Liverpool. I think we need to make that clear, Joel. It looks like Bayern Munich are the the leading party that are interested. Well, yeah, for now, as you say, because I think Liverpool are holding out for 40 million quid. Mane's 30 um, they're quite confident, Liverpool, that Bayern Munich are going to come back and have another another go at trying to get Sadio Mane because they've rejected a couple of bids already, I think. Um, can you see him staying or do you think that it's pretty much guaranteed that he's going to leave? Well, the reason they know that Bayern are going to come back is because Bayern are in a very precarious situation right now. I think they're very, very vulnerable in terms of the fact that Lewandowski's dying to leave the club. Uh, Sane has not been the same since his ACL injury when they signed him from City. Uh, Serge Gnabry's not signing a new contract. I mean, they're 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 a club which is in need of world class talent now. And when you look at Sadio Mane, I think they offered what was it, twenty five million and a clause, which wanted three Ballon d'Ors in the next three years. Like that's an absolute joke <laughs> um, for a player of Mane's standard. And he's one of he's one of the best players in the world like bottom line one of the best players even regardless of if he's got one year left on his contract that's a talented player who's going to be at the top level for at least another three or four years at least 
Um, and Bayern aren't really in the bargaining position, to be honest, because next season they're going to be without their striker, who has been scoring 35 goals in the Bundesliga a season, which is, you know, I know it's not the best league in the world, but he is one of the best strikers in the world, bar none. Um, but I think for Liverpool, this is just a natural transitional process for Jurgen Klopp now, I think we're seeing, where I don't, th- I think it's vital for Mane to leave this summer. And the reason I say that is because obviously Salah's on a one-year contract still. He hasn't signed. And I don't think Liverpool want to be in a position where they're potentially having to replace both of them in the same summer um, and their forward positions, which are very difficult to replace. So I think for them to get rid of Mane, bring in Nunez is very, very smart business from them, to be honest. And it's just the natural process. I was, I was questioning how he would do it because trying to replace those two players who've propped up the club for the last four years is never easy. It's never an easy task to do. Uh, but now that Luis Diaz looks like a pretty much ready-made replacement for Mane, I think Nunes is just the natural next step for them, to be honest. Um, and like Jim said, for them to blow a huge suitcase of cash for a player who's only had one good season in Portugal, I mean, they must be highly convinced. But like I said before, Strikers are super rare right now in terms of the availability of young promising strikers. So it's still a risk. It's still a massive risk. Um, But I'm sure it's a very calculated one as well. Well, that's the latest when it comes to Benfica forward Darwin Nunez, who looks like he's close to joining Liverpool for £85 million. And talking of strikers, that's where we're going to round up on today's Football Social Daily with our old trusty friend Romelu Lukaku. We always talk about him on this show because there's always something to talk about, whether it's him banging in goals or whether, as has been the case this season, it's him not being able to hit a barn door. A lone move back to Inter Milan could be on the cards, Jim. But what does Thomas Tuchel do here? Because it looks like that new consortium deal to take over Chelsea has gone through. We don't know what that means for them in the transfer market. Obviously, the 97.5 million that Chelsea spent on Lukaku last summer was Roman Abramovich's money. So what's Thomas Tuchel's plan now that he doesn't have the pressure of an owner breathing down his neck saying, I've spent 100 million on this guy. You need to get something out of him. Does he allow Lukaku to move back to Inter Milan on loan or does he stick it out? Because as Joel says, strikers are quite hard to come by at the moment. I mean, he's still an asset. He is still of value to the football club and it would have been part of the considerations when the new consortium came in. He would have been counted in terms of the value of the football club. So it's not that 97 million quid is now irrelevant just because Abramovich has moved on. And the consortium, no matter how much money they want to put into transfers and from what they've said, it's not going to be nearly as much as Abramovich has funded the club over the the previous 10 years he's been in charge of Chelsea Football Club. They're going to need the money that they have available to rebuild. We already know they've got a problem defensively, Chelsea, after some big-name departures in this window. Rudiger going, Christensen going. Um, there's a couple of other players that have been rumoured to leaving as well. I think Reese James, there's some noise about him potentially leaving because he's still on 70 grand a week at Chelsea when a player of that calibre is probably able to get maybe double that at another football club. So they've got some challenges, mm. Chelsea. they linked with Real Madrid, by the way. Yeah, yeah. In terms of bringing in new names... Um, But at the same time, Lukaku clearly doesn't want to play for Chelsea. He hasn't wanted to play for Chelsea since six weeks into arriving. And I don't think that is going to turn around over 
the next few months, no matter who the owners are, because it's more to do with his relationship with the football club and the manager. So what does Thomas Tuchel do? I think if I was him, I'd look not at the £90 million fee. I'd look at the £12 million a year in wages that Romelu Lukaku is currently getting. So if they can get rid of him back to Italy, they can write off that £12 million a year in wages. So that goes back into the transfer coffers. Maybe get a loan fee, maybe £10 million a season or something like that, which isn't out of the question for Lukaku. I think that's a pretty good deal for Chelsea, considering he hasn't done it on the pitch. And it's unlikely he's going to have the opportunities to do it this coming season as well. Is one season enough for Romelu Lukaku to have shown what he's capable of. I think he scored eight goals this season in 28 Premier League games that he played. Obviously, he had a bit of an injury as well. He started quite well. I think when he first arrived, August, September, October, he performed quite well. Then he got injured in the Champions League game. It was never quite the same after that. And there's no doubt that for the fee that Chelsea paid for him, Joel, it has been a flop. So is there a case for him staying one more season and see if he can do it? Or have we seen enough from Lukaku? Have Chelsea fans seen enough to suggest it's not going to work? It was a waste of money. It was one of those that just didn't work out and he needs to leave. I think the bottom line with this transfer is that Chelsea have lost. But that's the bottom line. I think his mind was completely made up the minute he did that Italian media interview. um, When he realised that the grass isn't always greener, that he was idolised in Milan. Um, he was in the best place for him in his football in the Italian league and with Antonio Conte and the the way in which he plays under Tuchel which is a system which it just does not suit his strengths at all every time you watch Chelsea he looks like a passenger he just goes through the pitch um, it doesn't suit the way in which he runs in behind in the way in which he's a poacher in the box like he was under Conte and for me, I think Chelsea really do have to cut their losses and it's going to be a massive loss because Inter Milan don't have the cash. Um, I'm sure they're going to be absolutely laughing in the Milan headquarters, realising that just last year they got a massive bankroll of £97.5 million, and now they're probably going to be able to take Lukaku back on a very staggered approach of you know a €20 million Euro loan, then a, a loan... Yeah, a loan move and then you know 20 million euro kind of fee push it's going to be messy for Chelsea they're going to have to just take this one on the chin as a very big loss because I think Lukaku's heart is set on going back to Milan now Um, and it's just it's a shame because under Conte he looked to me to be he transformed himself he looked way trimmer he looked very light on the ball. He looked, he just looked like a different player under him. And as soon as he went back into Tuchel's team, he just reminded me of the Lukaku that played for United, which was one which he scores yeah. goals, but he just isn't enough. He's not the guy. But he's not even scoring goals, Joel. That's the problem because at United, his record actually isn't as bad as what people make out. People make out that Manchester United, he was terrible and, and couldn't find the back of the net, which is just fundamentally not true. As you say, you look at his numbers. Actually, his numbers at Manchester United are very healthy and ones that you'd be happy with for a Premier League striker. But then there's the old ghost that comes back to haunt him, which is in the big games. He doesn't turn up. I think that's fair to suggest it's been the same this season for Chelsea, but it's not just the big games that he's not turning up in and and not scoring goals. It's pretty much all of the games. So even what he was showing at Manchester United appears to be missing this time around at Chelsea. Yeah, 100%. But there's a reason why United let him go even when he was scoring goals. And that's the fact that I just don't feel as though he's a striker who can take you to titles and win you the big games. And like Jim said, he's he's an asset for Chelsea, but he's an asset which is going to depreciate year on year on year if he doesn't perform. 
in the Premier League. And I think this is the only summer now where Chelsea and Tuchel will have to realistically look at it and say, are we going to cut our losses and actually get some kind of feedback which we can then use to start planning for the next striker? Or are we going to take another chance at a guy who is clearly unhappy, clearly has his heart set on going back to Italy? Um, are we going to risk that for next summer and potentially getting maybe 40% of what we paid? And then the next season, 20% because he's going. He's turning 30 next year. Um, I know I don't like saying, you know, when you turn 30, you're finished because players are playing on way longer than probably they used to. Um, but it's when it comes to a business decision, I think it's smart for everyone to just let him go back to, to Inter Milan. But I don't think that they should just bend over to their demands because they paid a ridiculous amount for him. And for Inter Milan, they're going to want to win the Scudetto back from uh, AC Milan next season. It'll be a massive move for them uh, for the next season in Italy. So they should they should stump up the cash for him because it'll change the game in terms of the, the title race next season. Stick or twist, Lukaku, Jim? I think once a player's head goes, it's very difficult to turn it back the other way. There's only a few handful of occasions where I can think it's actually worked. So I think, unfortunately for Chelsea... They've got a twist on this one. And as Joel says, he's a depreciating asset, not just because of his age, but because of his contract length. Every year that ticks down towards the end of his contract knocks money off his potential transfer value. And they're already going to lose money on him. So I think they take what they can from Inter Milan. Like you say, they try and negotiate to the best of their abilities. But Inter Milan will know they are in the strong position here. They will know they hold the cards. And if it turns out to be £20 million loan fee plus £40 million option at the end of that loan fee. I think that's probably not too horrific from Chelsea. You take that £30 million loss and you move on. Oh, what a terrible business decision from Chelsea. But it won't be... But It's going to be like a Ryanair flight, isn't it? Where the fare is a tenner, but then to sit next to your mate is an extra 400 quid. <laughs> and then if you want to take a bag on, it's another 700 quid. Chelsea are used to this, though. I mean, would you say the Lukaku deal would work out worse for them than Fernando Torres? Well, they they paid fifty million for Torres, and he basically helped them to win a Champions League. So I'm I'm always a little bit wary about people that disrespect Torres because, you know, if it wasn't for that moment where he took the ball around Victor Valdez and put it in the back of the net, would Chelsea have won the Champions League? I'm not sure they would have done. They won two European trophies in two years. Champions League and then Europa League the season after so Torres played a big part in those two trophies and 50 million back then was a lot of money but 100 million is is a different story and Chelsea haven't actually won anything this season they lost in two cup finals so Lukaku hasn't even contributed to a team that's won a trophy so I think this is actually probably worse than the Torres deal in my opinion yeah maybe I mean who'd say that someone else wouldn't have scored that goal that Torres scored and caused, caused Gary Neville to have an orgasm in live TV I mean it could, someone else might have done that but yeah I kind of take your point it's um, <laughs> Chelsea do not have a good track record with signing strikers I just think in general they're their record of signing players is a little bit hit and miss just purely because they could afford to take risks and gambles on players, whereas some clubs aren't able to do that. We'll keep an eye on the back pages and, of course, the future of Romelu Lukaku, whether that be at Chelsea or elsewhere, on this podcast, Football Social Daily. Every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we'll bring you a new podcast whilst the season is over. Back to business, though, at the start of August and we'll be back to seven days a week. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a single episode. Jim, Joel, thanks for your time. Have a great weekend and we'll catch you the other side. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.